Welcome to Adjunctitis, from surviving to thriving, teaching hacks to reduce stress, save time, and avoid common pitfalls. I'm April Brown, an assistant professor of journalism at Cal State LA. The first dozen episodes of the podcast are about some of the biggest concerns I had and the most surprising things I found as a new professor. As I've mentioned, eventually I found a handful of experienced colleagues to help me deal with them. And they also gave me new ways of thinking about how to teach. So welcome to episode 12, Whatever Works. Today we'll hear from one of those people and as is tradition, a brief story. It's about how a suggestion from a colleague gave me a new avenue to explore when it came to considering required materials for my class. At my first university, seniority really had its perks. Even though I'd spent more than 20 years as a broadcast journalist, None of the classes I was assigned to teach that first year were journalism-focused. Everyone who was there earlier got first dibs on those. The second year, I finally got to teach an Intro to Journalism class. It qualified as a GE, or General Education course, which meant students of any discipline could take it to fulfill a particular requirement. I was looking forward to trying to recruit some of those students into our program, and at the very least, demystify how journalism is done because these days it's easy to be concerned about that. At the same time, conveniently, an online publisher approached me about creating an interactive online textbook on that very same subject, Introduction to Journalism. Finally, a convergence between my experience and teaching assignment. So I spent the summer doing research for the book and the class, and I came up with material and exercises for a 15-week course covering history, legal and ethical issues, had interviews with journalists about their own experiences. I covered how day-to-day news gathering works, all that stuff you might expect. And by this time, I knew some of my colleagues who'd taught the class before me. So I didn't just have their syllabi, I could ask them what they did and didn't do and why. This episode's guest, Anjali Anderfuren, who is now a lecturer at the University of Michigan, was one of those people. And one of the books that she suggested I give my students was one I would never have considered. It was written by a movie and TV producer, not just your run-of-the-mill producer, but a remarkably successful one. If you don't know the name Brian Grazer, you will probably remember some of his projects. Splash, Parenthood, A Beautiful Mind, Arrested Development, Lucy and Desi, Tick, Tick, Boom, Hillbilly, Elegy, Empire, Friday Night Lights, Frost Nixon, those are just a few. You can find a link to his IMDb site under the Teaching Tools section of our website. I listed those examples because it shows his wide-ranging subjects and genres and storytelling. And it leads nicely into his book, which is the one Anjali told me about. It's called A Curious Mind, The Secret to a Bigger Life. It's not at all what I would have considered conventional required college reading. I've put a link to an interview with Grazer about the book on his website, Sadly, I have not done my own interview with him yet. I asked Anjali, though, how it occurred to her that a non-textbook might actually be the most beneficial of all the options for students in the class. You know, I think that I have to credit that back to all the former professors that I've had. I went to uh, University of Texas in Austin for my undergrad, and um, I have a Bachelor of Journalism degree, which is a different sort of degree. So I don't know if that was just a unique approach, but we did not only use textbooks, that anything that you could consume in media could be a way for you to learn. What gave you that particular idea and this book? 
A Curious Mind by Brian Grazer. My professors used all kinds of stuff in their classes. Um, so I think that the part of that was just me saying like, well, these people did it. I can do it too. But I, I also seek out stuff like also textbooks are expensive and they're boring. Uh, not all of them, but in a lot of cases, like it costs a lot of money. And as somebody who also doesn't come from like high-end wealth that can I could just have whatever I want whenever I want. I like to be conscious of that for the students. So I try to think outside the box, like, well, what would be something really cool? In particular, this book um, is about being curious. And I read the book and was like, wow, this is a great tool. I think it would be really good for anyone to read in any class that I ever teach. But of course, you can't make everyone read this one book. What if they take multiple of your classes? Like I like to call those my repeat customers. I don't want to disappoint them when they're coming to another class and be like, oh, I already read that one. So as somebody who loves books, um, and I read a lot of books, I think that there's so many cool things that are not textbooks out there. Obviously, there's a great place for textbooks, like in the world, and they do a lot of the especially in introductory classes but I think giving students something that they can be exciting about that's really important and hopefully if they bother to read it they too will be empowered by the book and I just think that's one of those books like that I thought like what do people need as intro journalists they need to be curious about the world oh here's this great book that I heard about that then I read and was like, God, oh, what a, I love it. This is the perfect thing. You get this guy that's super famous that everybody knows about telling his life story, but in a way that inspires you to also ask questions about your world. If everybody just did that, just the world would be a better place just in general outside of like college and learning. So I kind of like that idea, like what is going to add to somebody's life that they might actually care about more than just um, A to B to C. Uh, and I think I would definitely encourage people to like select text for their class that they also wanted to read to prepare for the class. That's an interesting idea that I hadn't really thought about because usually when I prepare for classes, especially new ones, I'm actually reading a bunch of previous textbooks and like bits and pieces are useful, but not necessarily thinking more widely. And you obviously have set me on the, the track to thinking more broadly about how you can teach a class. How did you figure out or how did you first learn that you could make the class your own and not necessarily follow the strict limits of the syllabus that was given you? And then where did you take that? Well, I guess somewhere along the line as a TV news producer, I learned... You just produce what you want to see, what you want other people to see. You just decide what those elements are. You put them in place and you see how it goes. And then the next time you can always change it if it didn't work out, right? If your great new idea wasn't as great as you thought. And I guess along the way, somewhere I like to tell my students like, well, we're going to try this. And if it, if it doesn't work out, great. We will figure it out together. And it'll just be like part of what, part of what we're doing in a test year. Um, or a test semester. Um, but I'd say to go back to the beginning, when I first started full-time teaching, um, I was given a class that didn't exist before, a class that didn't have a syllabus, um, and then another like live performance that didn't really work. It wasn't in the regular class system where it wasn't like graded, uh, it was just pass-fail. So 
I focused on like, okay, what would I like to see in these classes? And I just built it from the ground up. Um, and I think I felt like I could do anything I wanted to any of the classes because they were hiring me for my expertise, which I think comes with having spent, I guess, 10 years at that point as a TV news producer um, and used to kind of just running my own show and going with my ideas. So I empowered myself to do what I wanted and with that old adage, I guess, of it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Um, so that's what I did. Um, because how are you gonna how are you gonna start a class? Like I was hired like um, a month before the semester started. Nobody had nobody gave me anything. So I was like, well, I better plan this class out because I want it to be good. And so <laughs> I did just that. And then I just realized like as time goes on, like that's really the best way to do a class. And that's always the advice that I give. Um, to other new professor types when I run across them now is like, you know, like, don't be scared to make the class better than it looks like on paper already. You've been hired for your expertise, like, put some of that into the syllabus that you're going to make, like make the class something that you enjoy. And then therefore, your students will hopefully um, enjoy as well. When you were given a class, though, and it came with, you know, a, a preconceived syllabus it was I guess it was fortunate that you had that freedom to create the one class because you're like well I know I can do it so I'll just make this one my own as well yeah exactly like I think it's the I think the number one thing for me is like making sure I know what the learning objectives are for the class and I felt like at the beginning of my teaching full-time, nobody even told me what learning objectives were or that you needed to meet them. But I, by nature of having a master's degree, I guess, where I was fortunate to have selected to be in a class where I got to create my own class and knew that you needed course objectives and knew that you had to have all the particular elements in a syllabus, um, that just gate I have that like in the back of my head that like, well, this is what's needed. And so if I'm not given this, I must gonna be expected to create this. And there was sadly not always people you can ask and they've hired you because they don't have anyone to do it. So there's not always a class that's been in that slot before. So you've got to do the best for your students. And so I like to look like when I start a new class or at a new place, I like to look at if there is a syllabus bank. And generally there is one, but you have to ask for it because the people that are setting you up like administratively may not be the ones thinking in terms of what you need to start for the class. You got to need a checklist for yourself. So I'd say to ask if there's a syllabus bank and if there is, um, start there. And I would say compare at least five for the course and see if there's course objectives. If you can't find any there, you can always look at the course description that's actually printed in the course catalog, um, which there should at least be a at the very least, there should be a PDF of at every college, I would say, at the very least. If not, there's some kind of course description, and that might be the bare minimum. But that, if that's all you've got, then that's all you need. You know what it says, and you can take it from there. So when you're creating something or revising something, right? Because that's what it is to me. Every semester is a revision. I never have a completed syllabus because I always am like, oh, next semester, I'm going to do this. And I keep a notebook like through the semester of like, oh, this went really good. Oh, change this. And I keep it on my 
actual, I print out a copy of my schedule and I write notes on there that I look at when I'm planning the next semester. So I'm always looking, always revising, um, always considering like, oh, this was really good. I'll put positive notes to myself as well as negative notes to myself. And then I like to ask my students too. I do a, a midpoint and a final um, anonymous survey online to get feedback. But I also ask in each particular, um, at least major thing. So every time that there's like a multi-step process, the last process for me is getting student feedback reflection. So not only to reflect on how they felt they did on it, what they could do better, but also is there anything that you think could improve the assignment as well? And I've gotten a lot of really, really good ideas from students um, by doing that. And I think like once you get going, that's really the key to all future success is like, you take whatever your thoughts are on the material, even if you start with the worst syllabus and somebody says, you have to do it just like this. Okay, fine. But then evaluate as you're going. And like, then you have that data, like your own experience, the student experience throughout the semester. And then when they're looking back from the midpoint to the end, because we all know, Sometimes students are like, I don't like this because they don't see the point of it, maybe. But at the end of the semester, they're like, aha, I see why you did that. It makes sense to me now, and I do like it. But I still have this great idea to, for this potential change that you could do. I love all of those things that you've said, and I've written a lot of them down. And what makes me just personally feel better is that a lot of the things that I put in those first episodes are things that you mentioned. So I'm glad it's, you know... It just makes me feel better that it wasn't me just experiencing these things. Oh my and gosh! I appreciate that. It, isn't that <laughs> the you best? Because you feel like you're alone. Yes, you do feel like you're alone. I always love to like compare notes. That's something that's really awesome about the current department that I am in at the University of Michigan. Um, there, it, we have this cohort of people, um, and we do this monthly like check-in. And part of it is just like, "Hey, did anybody do anything really cool, or try some new software, or did anything go really well in your class, or did anything go really poorly in your class that we could all learn from?" And it's really cool. Like, I have found the best stuff that way. Um, like, and like consider doing stuff from other like perspectives and stuff. Um, and I've made little changes here and there. Some of them have been good for me. Some of them I'm like, well, that clearly worked better for them than it did for me. Um, but it's so nice to find like a little group of people. I don't even think it would need to be in your department. Like if you're at too small of a department or there's nobody that you feel like you could talk to in your department, if you could find anybody that has just come in to the university at the same time as you, somebody that you can just like just talk about general teaching with I think that would help too and that again it just goes to help empower you to feel the confidence because I think that's what you really need to have a good class right you have to be confident in your ability to have the good class so that the students see that confidence and then they feel confident about the class and hopefully that elevates the whole thing My great thanks to Angeli Anderfuren from the University of Michigan for her time and expertise. We'll hear more from her on upcoming episodes on setting boundaries, accommodating different learning styles, and a few other topics you'll want to hear about. 
If you have questions or issues you'd like me to address, please send them to questions at adjunctitis.com. Join our conversation on social. Right now we're at adjunctitis on threads, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash adjunctitis. You can also use the hashtag adjunctitis so we can form a community where questions can be asked and answered. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider leaving a review and a rating. Those can help other people find us too. Please spread the word and help those who ask you for help. It's good teaching karma. Adjunctitis is a Look At It This Way production. I'm April Brown. Thank you for listening. Class dismissed.